Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. If you're interested in learning about the ketogenic diet like I was to save my own life, then this is probably the podcast for you. Eight years ago, I knew nothing about it. Six years ago, it saved my life. Three years ago, I started researching and talking with some of the authorities in the field and attending medical conferences about this to understand why and how keto so dramatically changed my and my wife's Judy's lives. The purpose of this podcast is to share our journey of discoveries with you in understanding how keto is so effective in improving so many different conditions from obesity, epilepsy, diabetes, infertility, MS, Alzheimer's, heart disease, to name a few. So take a step away from all the hype you've probably heard and roll up your sleeves with me and join me weekly to explore this living miracle that anyone can access. We'll talk science, we'll talk food. We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcamp, and welcome back to another episode of the Keto Naturopath. We've been doing this, what, for well over two years. I think you're going to enjoy this session because we've now just gone through, obviously been coaching people for a lot, a lot of labs, most of the most common reason people engage in our services and our coaching program is because they are uh, morbidly obese or obese. They have weight to lose. And so we throw a lot of labs, a lot of diet, obviously keto, we've now migrated from keto to uh, protein sparing modified fast by the end of the program. We're not any less keto, and by the way, uh, PSMF, protein sparing modified fat, is really a subcategory of keto. So to that point, I would like to talk a little more about our experience and sort of a follow-up PowerPoint presentation I did for the group that finished the um, challenge that we did collectively. And uh, for that, I, I... you know, everybody gets excited about something simple on which they can get gains. That's good. But as I would say in my naturopathic practice and saying patients, anything that gives you a benefit in a week is potentially dangerous if you stay on it too long. In those contexts, I was usually thinking about a particular supplement. And so in this context, it's about the protein sparing modified fast. You can get results if you stay focused and just do what you're supposed to do and try not to make it so complicated. That's just a thing about people. It's funny. You give them directions and they come back with all these questions about something else. It's like, no, uh, these are the directions. This is what you got to do. But um, it is effective. It is not meant to be long-term. And that means that you obviously need fat in your life. So I'd like to go through some of this because I think we as a culture... I'm speaking of the United States. We as a culture tend to oversimplify, tend to reduce things that just can't be reduced. We tend to make things dangerously simple. We tend to mislead people because our marketing is so good. We put so much money into marketing, whether you're a lobbyist for a pharmaceutical company or a financial company or whatever it is, you kind of lie by omitting. And that's what Americans are good at. And they pick it up as a cultural norm. I just leave out the small print. Uh, the small print that may kill you, right? Okay, so let's get started. So what I wh- what I framed as, um, I want to hit my warnings up front and things people should be thinking about. And, and the first is, 
I want to have people put the brakes on protein sparing modified fast in terms of forever thing. And why I say that is because once you add the word fast to anything, is it, it tends to attract those who have an addictive personality. So we had programs in which we initially started for free and started building up from there that there was a couple people that really didn't do anything about keto. They didn't really, it was, you know, they weren't going to really change anything. But when we got into the fasting part and saying, hey, you, here's a little bit about fasting, that's all they wanted to do at fast. I'm going to lose my weight by fasting, which is the worst way to lose weight in my view. It can potentially damage you. And it's not just me saying that. It's certainly Steve Finney and others. It's like three-day fast is fine. Beyond that, you're starting to make bargains with your metabolism that may not exactly come back. And then you might say, oh, I know somebody who's fasted for a month. And yeah, and that's true. But for the, for the average person, the problem about fasting is they haven't learned anything about lifestyle changes. They now have this extreme fallback. I'm just going to fast. I'm going to stop eating and drink water. Well, the person who did that, who did lose a lot of weight, uh, actually put themselves in the hospital. So this is my worry as a physician to saying, please don't do this. Please be reasonable. And in our implementation of the protein sparing modified fast, I believe it's reasonable. So I'm asking for common sense to rule and not say, hmm. You know, um, we had a special Facebook group and I asked people to come in and say, so what are your reasons for coming in? And I listed like 10 reasons. And probably the most common reason was people were looking for a quick win. They wanted to drop these pounds and, and that's fine. There's no judgment here. But there has to be a contextual thinking afterwards. You know, where are we? Is, is, are we eating crap food for our whole diet? Are we not paying attention to anything else? And this is the way you're going to lose weight? Um, that's not really a healthy decision now, is it? Okay, so let's start. So the first thing I said is, you know, this idea of eating only protein. And when I say protein, it's whole foods protein. It's meat, fish, chicken eggs, and leaving anything else, but you get my point, as opposed to having a protein drink or protein powder exclusively made up of hand-picked amino acids by Juan Valdez, <laughs> right? So it's real food. We're having food here. We're not having protein drinks. So the idea of this, um, at least in terms of modern media, was in the mid-70s. There was a guy named Dr. Robert Lynn, and he was clever enough to name his diet the last chance diet. Doesn't that sound desperate? But most people are desperate. So he's appealing to that desperate feeling audience. And he basically did have a protein drink. And his protein was based on collagen. So not only was it collagen, but it was a poor source of collagen. So that begs the question, what's wrong with collagen? Before we get to that question, and I'm glad you asked, is that the outcome was, this was very popular in 1975, 76, and the FDA had to shut it down in 1977 uh, or 78. And that is because a lot of people died. A lot, 60 people that, I, that we can find, 60 people died. What did they die from? They died from electrolytes imbalances producing abnormal heart rhythms and basically, they went into ventricular fibrillation and died. So where did that come from? Well, that came from eating a pretty extremely imbalanced diet. And this was a, uh, a protein drink based on collagen. 
so that you know collagen. So we have collagen in, in our house. We I used to have a lot in the coffee. I haven't had it for a while now. We put it in the mayo and so on and so forth. Collagen is an incomplete protein. Put it right up there with bone broth. It has some good protein in it, and it's very gut healing. It's a lot of uh, glycine, uh, proline, and I don't have it right in front of me, but I've talked about that in pre- previous podcasts. And so it's very gut healing and very joint supportive. Nonetheless, it is missing some essential amino acids. And so essential is, like the word says, essential. You have to have this on a daily basis. So for these people who are so eager to lose weight, and they started, you know, first time in their life, if you can imagine, if you're 100 pounds overweight or more, and you go a day of this protein drink, and you start losing weight, fat specifically, you go, this is amazing. You know, this is doing something for you you haven't been able to do your whole life. You start to feel that there is a possibility of of regaining who you are and not having to be this big, heavy person anymore. That's amazing. So the people are very motivated. So they get so motivated, they keep doing this. And so by not having certain essential amino acids named tryptophan and others, they will start causing a, a big imbalance. And so that's what happens. So tryptophan, and that's one of the... Uh, the that's one of the amino acids they do not have in collagen. And in fact, collagen is used for, to, to, to give into monkeys and rats and so on and so forth, to induce a chronic low tryptophan diet, which will create a chronic low serotonin neurotransmitter in that rat or monkey, which will create a chronically low melatonin rat or monkey. So those are the studies. To determine that, they simply gave them an amino acid mix or diet that did not have tryptophan in it. And they found out that, you know, people got depressed, uh, became bipolar, schizophrenic, and all these other things. So it was a mess. And then, I mean, that was on their on their way to this electrolyte imbalance. Uh, they were depressed and so on and so forth. So they knocked that out. But they did not you know, or you could say for a while, the baby was thrown out with the bathwater. So the idea of a protein sparing modified fast wasn't this, but this was kind of the precursor. This was sort of the idea that, wow, people really dropped weight quickly. That's pretty neat, but they also died. That's not so neat. And there's many in between, as you can guess. So everybody got involved in this financially, and a lot of people lost money on it as well, because it was a quick rise and a quick fall. Now, let me see if I can tell you more about, well, the other thing that uh, collagen is deficient in is methionine. So methionine is uh, very prevalent in meats, but it's not existing at all in collagen. So you're now down by two essential amino acids. And when they've done diets deficient in methionine, specifically on monkeys, they found that they became arthritic. Uh, They had accelerated aging, uh, high levels of cholesterol. Interesting, huh? So there's a holism here. And some of you are still thinking, well, of course, I'll just get a better protein drink. I mean, that's up to you. I think that's really not a great way to do it. And I'll return to that idea in a second. So uh, back in the mid-90s, mid to late 90s, 1996 to be specific, there were uh, Michael and Mary, uh, 80s, came up with a book called Protein Power. 
So it's a high protein, low carb way to lose weight. So I like that. And I've seen him present. He's still around presenting on a number of things, primarily about the ketogenic diet, carnivore diet, ancestral diet. I mean, it's pretty much all together. And he did very well. These guys did very, very, very well on this. That when you think about the low-carb, high-protein diet coming from keto, which is a low-carb, moderate protein that you calculate your protein that you need, and then a high fat, that's primarily a uh, the ketogenic diet, low carb, high fat. And some will argue, well, then there's the low carb, which is low carb and not necessarily high fat. I'll agree with you there. But from that family, whether you want to call it the ketogenic diet or the very low carbohydrate diet of 20 grams of carbs per day or low carb, high fat, all of that, when you migrate more towards now increasing the protein component only, so you have the, the carbs down to little or none. You have a lot of fat for the most part, or certainly enough. You're not fat phobic. And now you're cranking up the protein. What you'll find is the one is your appetite goes down pretty quickly that you feel satiated sooner. And uh, the protein sparing modified fast, there is no fat and there are no carbs other than what what is inherent in meat in itself. So that's why we do, by the way, a whole foods source of meat, of protein, because there is some fat in there and there are very few carbs in there, but it's, you know, it's harder to really damage yourself when you're dealing with whole foods. We just tell people to trim the meat on the pork and on the chicken and so on and so forth, just for these few days. And what we do is educate people for a day. They have a booklet to read through and to get their stuff. Then the day before is to make sure uh, everybody has their things to go, which is actually really not much, just to have your your uh, meats, your chicken or eggs available. And then we also overlay that with uh, intermittent fasting. So the idea, we encourage that people you know, have an eating window of about six hours, six or eight hours, but it's their choice. And there you go. And then we do it for three days and we have them track as much as they possibly can track. So they've tracked their, ideally their their blood glucose, their blood ketones, their weight. Some were even on, they had a CGM, their continual glucose monitor, meaning the Freestyle Libra, which, um, so they tracked that to see what that looked like. So a lot of information is coming at us and coming together to sort of have these discussions that are um, getting to be pretty sophisticated when you realize people are now, have the ability to talk about all their own biomarkers. I think that's great. It's a good sign that people have been educated and taking responsibility for themselves. But so the first thing was, it's the quality of the meat, of the protein. You really got to make sure you have a good quality. And what I mean by good quality is not uh, free range meat. Ideally, that would be great, but not doing a protein drink based on protein powder. That's what I mean when I say quality. Move over to real foods. Um, The idea has been resurrected in the 90s from the 70s disaster. And it's pretty much kept on. So in the mid-90s was the same time you had kind of the renaissance, if you will, of of uh, the Atkins diet. Even though the Dr. Atkins came out with his books in the 70s, 1975, it wasn't until the mid-90s did it really start to, Dr. Westman, for instance, only started studying uh, the Atkins diet in 1998. So this is all concurrent with each other. Okay, and so um, 
the other thing I want to mention about speaking of protein powders as a source of your protein source, that's in essence what they use post-bariatric surgery. So bariatric surgery is in essence when you get your stomach reduced. They either you know block part of the opening, they tie part of the size, they cover a lot of, you know, they make it smaller so you can't hold as much food in your stomach for very long. So you eat less. So what do they want to make sure that you get? They want to make sure you get your, your essential proteins. So you basically are, are having protein slurpees for a number of months. So the upside of bariatric surgery is, is that it works short term for 95% of the people. Short term means that you go in with type 2 diabetic in the course probably of a couple of a week, you might no lo- you might no longer be diabetic. And in the course of a month, you will have dropped a lot of weight. And so it'll go on. You'll do fine for three or four months, but most people, because they haven't been trained in changing their lifestyle, they haven't been trained in eating correctly, we'll call it, that they they go back to their stomach stretches. So that reduction is less of a reduction. And they go back to eating how they've eaten before and they gain all the weight back. So that's just, that's not me making bariatric surgery results seem small. This is the reality that that they don't hold because uh, the people haven't been trained. And that they use a protein drink to make it through. Okay, let's go on from there. So you need a whole food source of protein. So you get all the essential amino acids and more long story short, right? So you have your macronutrients and your micronutrients. You have a little bit of fat. And so what we do, we even make a protein bread, believe it or not. That's pretty impressive. And so we put aside the egg yolks. We use it. It's egg white with egg white powder. Judy does a great job, makes a number of loaves a couple times a week. Uh, They don't last long. And so consequently with all the egg yolks, we do not throw them away. We make incredibly good custard on the other side. Pretty nice. And egg yolks are very nutritious. So uh, we got that going. I go through the the nutrient, micronutrients of meat, fish, so on and so forth, um, and saying, you know, it's still not 100%. And so in the real world that you are going to need to have some organ meats, namely liver and or eggs, because they will then supply things that that you do not get a lot of in meat. So you'll get more of your fatty of your fatty vitamins, right? So your choline's a big deal. You get a lot of choline in both uh, liver and eggs. E, K1, um, some more electrolytes as well. Folate, B12 are the big ones. So you put these two together, you're all set. So there's you really could live forever on a protein-sparing modified fast, right? plus liver and egg yolks. So that's that's the minimum of life and you'll do fine. Um, most people will get bored of that, but when people talk about, oh gosh, for three or four days, by the way, this comment did come up that they were bored with some of the food. It was bland. They were just having chicken breast. Well, that's a whole nother layer of instruction of saying, let's cook these things. We threw out recipes on a daily basis so they'd have something new to go after. But if people don't want to cook, and they just want to eat this thing, well, there's not much you could do for them. They're going to get bored. But if you start to learn to cook a little bit, you can make these things very, very interesting. So the boredom is lack of culinary skills. And you don't have to be 
real sophisticated in terms of working in the kitchen to make some of these things taste great. Three concepts that I bring to people that I might have mentioned in past broadcasts, and one is what they call the thermic effect of food. Or to say it another way, it's how many calories does it take to digest the different macronutrients? How many calories does it take to digest fat? How many calories does it take to digest um, carbohydrates? How many calories does it take to digest protein? So fat, if you have 200 calories, you eat 200 calories of fat, it will cost you six calories, almost nothing. So it's 3%. If you have 200 calories of carbs, let's say a donut, one donut could be easily 200 calories. Well, it's going to take you 20 calories from the 200. So that's 10%. And protein, protein, 200 calories, call it a, a turkey drumstick or a steak without with the fats taken off. 200 calories of protein will cost you 60 calories to digest. So that's 30%. So it is the most expensive micronutrient, sorry, macronutrient to eat. In other words, it costs more in terms of the energy for you to break down protein, even though protein is essential for you to digest it. So they call it the thermic, thermic effect of food is because this actually does throw off heat. It generates heat in the process. Interesting. So it's slower. It's one, it's a lot slower to digest, uh, keeps you satiated for longer. And that's true. That's plenty of studies of that. And, um, it costs the most in terms of calories. Another interesting thing was that, you know, if you start eating, if you think of eating, um, protein as a percent of all your calories. So I'm looking at a chart as I speak. And so you have in front of you what is 100% of the calories you know you should eat. So that's your basal metabolic rate calorie requirement, okay? So if you have 10% of that protein, uh, you'll still be pretty hungry. If you have 20% of that protein, you'll still, you'll still be pretty hungry you get up to about 35% or greater. So 35%, 45 to 55, all the way up to 100%. 100% would be strictly amino acid powder, right? And water. So anything really beyond about 35%, you will tend to eat fewer calories. That is, you would have been satiated. So that's the way it is. Protein is that you find you can only eat so much protein and it keeps you satiated apart from the idea whether you're entertained and thought it was a great meal or not, if you just have chicken breast, and you will get bored of chicken breast, I'll tell you, but if you just have chicken breast, when you have 35% of your calories, so let's say, easy math, 35% of somebody who needs to have 2,000 calories a day as their BMR, that means they have 700 calories out of 2,000, they will feel full. And so consequently, they're down about 1,300 calories per day. And so that's how the weight loss works is because you're no longer hungry. You've increased your protein to what your protein requirement is, and you found maybe a little even little higher, and you found that you're just not hungry for the rest of the day. So that's how that works. You're very well satiated. So you better learn how to cook. <laughs> Another thing I, I uh, talk about is that I compare the protein-sparing fast between a very low-carbohydrate diet, 
right? So a very low carbohydrate diet would be 20 grams of carbs per day. And a very low calorie diet, which is under 800 grams a day. So when you have a protein sparing fast, you in essence have, most people will throw out, it's about an average of 800 calories a day. So if you're having about two grams per, two grams of protein per pound of ideal body weight, you will probably be around 800 calories. And that's less for a smaller person and more for a bigger person, but that is the average. The average is a, is a male in the United States of 5'10". Happens to be me, more or less. I'm closer to 5'11", should you want to know. Um, but that's how that is. And so basically, I see it as a much safer way of fasting. I think people, and I've seen it, they get themselves into trouble when they fast. And I told you about that. So I feel more comfortable protein-sparing fast. And how we implement it is that we ourselves just do it for three days a week. You know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So we have lean meats on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or therein. And then um, for me anyway, we, we have a fair amount of leftover of these chicken breasts we get. So that could be my lunch snack. So it's very easy to, to comply with. And um, it's it's been remarkable. You know, it's I, I never had much to complain before, but uh, it has brought me down to my scale really doesn't give an accurate representation, but I've dropped a lot of fat that I never thought I had. I thought I was always around 20%. According to the scale, I still am. According to my abs, I'm not. <laughs> so anyway, meaning that they become pretty defined. Okay, how this works, by the way. I want to bring you back to the time in which the ketogenic diet was formalized. And so that's 1995. And so what they, remember they were working with pediatric, um, they were working with pediatric epileptic kids. And they knew that they had to keep the carbs low. That was the obvious part. They didn't know how much protein they should have or not because proteins can contribute and do contribute to the production of making your own glucose. Whereas when you eat carbs, you are eating glucose. Usually just breaks a bond and you got glucose. In your blood it goes. Pretty immediate, very fast. Not a lot of digestion required. Of course, it depends on the kind of carbohydrate you're ha having. <clears throat> so, but with protein, it's not that way. For one, as you know, protein takes a lot of calories to digest. And the other is that Every protein is different. We've talked about they're, they're, they're not all the same way. They're all different pieces. It's kind of like a chop shop is the way I describe it. All these proteins are, so you eat your steak. It's broken down to single amino acids. These single amino acids are absorbed in the blood, so in your bloodstream, and they go off to the liver. So these different amino acids, they all have a nitrogen group on it, of course. That gets sliced off. Now you're, you're stuck with the rest of it, how many of carbs that is. And it is one of the, I don't want to say the word building block, it's used in other contexts, but you now have a piece that is going to go into making, um, go into the Krebs cycle, should you know, and it goes into the Krebs cycle, kind of like a hopper. You're throwing things into the hopper and the other side of the hopper is going to come out glucose. But some things you throw in are almost, very little work is necessary to make them into glucose. Others, there's quite a bit of adding things on and taking things away to make it into glucose. So it varies. So, um, one of my discoveries was is one of the why it takes such work to digest protein is because it's not all the same. You know, glucose is glucose. Carbs are carbs. Um, there's different kinds of fats, so that takes a little more, but that's what we've seen. So anyway, that's it. So 
um, it goes to the liver. The liver it stimulates the liver to produce um, glucose, what they call gluconeogenesis. You've heard that word before. So it's a different route that I'm trying to say. It doesn't show up as a, a cube of glucose. It shows up as bits and pieces that have to be disassembled and then reassembled into making glucose. But none, nonetheless, it does contribute to overall glucose production, gluconeogenesis. So back in the ketogenic formulation, they were worried how much protein should someone have so they don't give them too much glucose because glucose was a thing they were trying to keep down enough. Remember, they wanted to be them, they wanted them to be in ketosis, so they had to keep the glucose down. So, but they weren't quite sure where because it was a slow conversion to glucose. You start eating on a protein-sparing fast, first you're going to feel, gosh, I've just eaten, but I'm still feeling pretty tired. It's a real fast. There's no carbs. Your body's going, you're fasting still, aren't you? Well, it takes a while for that finally to stimulate your liver or have glucagon stimulate your liver to start making glucose. So it's a slow burn, slow conversion to glucose, but it does end up to glucose. Therefore, when we see about uh, glucose diets, you add in when they used to do diets, they would talk about a 4-1-3-1-2-1 diet. What that is, is that they add the grams of carbs and they add in the grams of proteins together. And that would be the larger number. And then the other would be the fat. So, if, sorry, just the opposite. The four would be the fat number. So however many grams of fats. And the other one would be the combination of carbs and proteins because they both ended up being glucose at some point. Now, what we find in a protein-sparing modified fast is, yes, if people's glucose was a good number, let's say in the mid-80s, that for a number of people, their glucose actually went up, went up to the mid-90s, maybe even up to 100, but it didn't skyrocket. It wasn't going to be a diabetic high glucose. It didn't go up to 110 or 120 or 130. It went up a little bit. So for someone saying, I can't figure this out, I'm losing weight, but my glucose is going up. So we had to explain that. Interesting. I don't know what the insulin level would be when you're on a, that would really be neat to see because it's amazing that you are on a hypocaloric diet, right? With the example I just gave you, this, this person at 2000 calories per day, they're down 1300 calories per day because they're just doing what they, you know, the 800 calories of protein. Um, how much, what does your insulin do? I imagine it might go up a little bit with the with the insulin, with the glucose going up, but at the same time, you're losing a lot of fat very quickly. Interesting. So people did leave at the end of the two to three days, two, three, four, five, and more pounds. I think there was one up to uh, 12 pounds in the course of three days. So that's phenomenal. That's really big changes. So let's take the low end. If there was a person that lost two pounds in three days, and they did that for four weeks, you know, three days a week for four weeks, they would have lost eight pounds that month. A person who lost 12 pounds, that's 24, 48. That's almost 50 pounds they would have lost in a month. So you would have to monitor that. You, that's a little bit too aggressive in, in my book. But it's amazing that these people, you know, they realize something. It's my gosh, you know, this, this weight that I'm carrying, it's not a forever thing. It gave them hope. It gave them really sincere hope. And um, we had had them all do some uh, high-intensity interval exercises because it was easier to give them a couple links for these exercises. We all did them 
quote unquote together, not at the same time, but we did them every morning, reported in. And so they were doing some exercise at the same time. That was pretty cool. I mean, it was, uh, we had some good results. It went by quickly. People realized they got, they didn't, first of all, they didn't fall apart. They didn't feel terrible. One woman complained of very poor sleep, but I think um, she was not, I tried to make it so people who did this um, protein sparing modified fast were coming from uh, being in ketosis. So if you are not in ketosis and you jump right to this, it's going to be like a pretty severe fast for you, you know, and you're going to go, oh my gosh, I feel terrible. So for her, her first night was poor sleep. When I fast, my first night is poor sleep. Uh, I don't have it. I don't have those reactions now with uh, this fast kind of fasting. So that was pretty neat. That was very helpful. The other is I explained how certain proteins, you know, the essential and the non-essential amino acids, but not all proteins go to making glucose. Some can't go to making glucose. They can go to making ketones, which is fine because um, as everybody found, they were doing quite fine in making ketones as well. So it's in many ways is pretty ideal. Some proteins contribute to making ketones. Other proteins contribute to making glucose. And you obviously need both. So um, I was looking for some of the comments. We showed them, we gave the recipe out, and many people did. Pretty simple recipe, making protein bread. And uh, there's a lot of people. Some people took pictures of themselves. Uh, a lot of data they offered. And uh, all in all, people were very excited, satisfied they lost some weight. Uh, some actually were, were, were hoping they would lose more. And I'm glad they didn't because that's a sign of an addicted personality. I only lost five pounds. I wanted it to be 15. That's craziness. And if that's their kind of like, I want it to be, make my life perfect again, a very uh, unrealistic perspective to have and a dangerous perspective to have. So I'm going to leave this podcast um, at this point. We'll talk more about this because I think that when you add to low-carb, high-fat diet or just a low-carb, moderate-fat ketogenic diet and you migrate to, I will call it intermittent protein-sparing fast, you will be able to lose additional fat. And the reason I even pursued this at all and why this is even in our program is because not everybody benefits from doing the ketogenic diet. We've seen that. It's 50%, whether it's Dr. Westman's program or Verta Health or anybody. It's kind of like this asymptotic limit, 50%. And I doubt it's even 50%. It's closer to 40%. So what about the 50 to 60% of the people that want this to happen and they can't do it? Well, that's in part what we based our whole program on. That's why we do labs and hormone panels and genome and so on and so forth. But also, that's why we end up with a protein-sparing modified fast. It's another way of trying to activate fat loss, a healthy fat loss, not a dangerous weight loss program. So till next time, I hope you consider the program and take care. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcamp. I just wanted to encourage you to send in your questions to Dr. Goldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. Many of you have, and so what I've done with these questions that gotten back to most of the people I email, but some of the questions that were so good, and if they were overlapping to other questions, I would combine them and try to put that into the topic of a podcast, either via one of the micro topics that are covered in an interview. As you know, we cover a lot of topics in any given interview, 
or some of my own sort of reporting, if you will, on some of these issues. So uh, please keep the questions coming. Feel free to send in an email and uh, I will get back to you. One thing I want to say, a number of questions have come in in which I've given this answer and the email didn't work. So just make sure that you're receiving at the same email that you sent it in. And I think that might have been the difficulty. So I look forward to your questions. I just wanted to make sure that you knew that I'm hoping to answer your questions. And I think this world of keto is not just black and white. You know, it's nice that it's simple, but it's not simple for some. I'm really trying to, you know, go down as anybody any of you who have listened to all my podcasts, we started way back when, history and evolution, epilepsy, and so on and so forth. You know, now we're seeing some tremendous overlap in uh, various uh, mental disorders, such as schizophrenia or neurological disorders that are not just epilepsy. And also, just for people in losing weight, it's sometimes pretty complicated for them to engage in keto, and so they need some help. And so that's the whole point of... At least that's what I think I'm doing, is exploring the world of why are there other factors? And so in exploring some of those other factors, we've covered addiction, we've covered hormones, we've covered uh, nutritional deficiencies, we've covered certain metabolic lab results, and we'll go further. We'll even get to more on genome and aspects. So these are all just contributions that make for an obstacle for some people to engage easily in the ketogenic diet. This is my belief, and these are the things that I've discovered, and I think other people have discovered some of these things, but not ever put them together. So stay listening, send in your questions, and I will definitely get back to you.